All right, so there was this interesting thing that was happening around Jesus' day. There was all these Jewish people, and they were under occupation of Rome, and they were trying to figure out what does it mean for us to be the people of God. And over this kind of hundreds of year span, as they were under occupation of different authorities and rulers, there was these different Jewish uh, sects that kind of popped up and, and, and came about. And these different sects, would, they would kind of say, hey, this is what we're about. This is how we think, it, uh, how we, think we should follow God. This is how we think we should do things. There was one sect called the Sadducees, and there was another sect called the Pharisees. These were two of the biggest kind of religious Jewish uh, groups in Jesus' day, and they would kind of have these debates about theology and, 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 and kind of disagree on things, and sometimes disagree strongly, and sometimes they were sure that their way was the only way to get God to do what they wanted God to do or what God, they thought, had promised in Scripture. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they had a debate in particular. They had a debate over the resurrection. You see, the Sadducees, they thought there probably was this age to come one day where God would come back and kind of make all things right and free the people of Israel, but they didn't think he was going to come back and bring a resurrection with him. They didn't think that he was going to resurrect all these people, so they just didn't see the biblical merit. Their Bible was our Old Testament. They called it the Torah, and they, and they even had different names for different parts of the Torah. And, and, and they just they, as they read the Torah, they just said... I, we just don't see the merit. We don't see that God is going to resurrect in this age to come when God comes and makes all things right. The Pharisees, however, they, they believed in a resurrection. They thought God's going to come back. There's going to be this like dawning of a new age. There's going to be this age to come, and it's going to be really this, this almost even they sometimes call it like the day of the Lord in moments, or that would be kind of the beginning of it. And they said when that happens, when God comes to free Israel, not only is he going to free us from occupation under whatever rule or authority is over us, but he's actually going to bring resurrection with him. And part of it was because they saw all these verses throughout the Old Testament, and they, these Pharisees, they were sure that it pointed to the resurrection. Here, here, let's read and look at some of the verses that compelled the Pharisees to believe that there was going to be this resurrection at the end of time. The first one is in Daniel 12, 2. It says this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So they saw that their own prophets were saying, hey, some are going to wake up to life. That, that, that's not just a metaphor for everybody being, like it's a metaphor for death, not saying that everybody's going to be asleep and God's going to wake them up. The Pharisees also saw that in their own psalms and, and songs and, and these prayers that they would pray corporately, corporately together as they worshipped in the temple, they would see these lines in these songs where God would talk about rescuing his people from the grave where he would revive people from the depths of the earth, where he would not abandon their souls to Hades or the world of the dead or, and death. And so they began to believe in this resurrection. Now, I think probably the, the prophet, the part of the Torah or the Old Testament that they really, that really compelled them to believe in the resurrection was the book of Isaiah, as we call it. Where God took this man Isaiah and he used this man Isaiah to speak his words to his people. And Isaiah becomes this beautiful vision 
of this age to come, when God arrives and he does all these things, and it gives all these beautiful pictures of what God's going to do. It talks about it being a feast, like God's going to bring in together everybody from all nations together as this kind of unending feast. But it also has these hints, or Isaiah has all these hints of this resurrection life. But Isaiah is a lot of poetry, and this is kind of probably part of why the Sadducees kind of pushed against it. But let's look at some of these lines in Isaiah that compelled the Pharisees to believe that there was going to be a resurrection. Uh, Isaiah 25, verse 8, says this. He, it's talking about God, will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. And then Isaiah 26, 19, here's another one. This is what it says. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. And then what happens in the middle of Isaiah, starting in Isaiah 40, 40 through 55 of Isaiah is actually this long beautiful poem. It's, it's possibly the most epic poem we have from like history at all. And it's this long poem that talks about how is God going to do that? What is God going to do? And it talks about how God's going to send this suffering servant who's going to represent God and in a sense be God and he's going to restore everything. He's going to restore his people. He's going to restore all of creation. And he's going to do it by the power of forgiveness. And then after Isaiah 55, Isaiah just continues to give this beautiful vision of this age to come. And again, this age to come is what made the Pharisees say, hey, there's going to be a resurrection at the end of time. And, and I, I want to just read another larger portion in Isaiah 65 of what this age to come was going to look like. Uh, starting in verse 17 of Isaiah 65, it says this. Again, this is a, a poem, we have to remember. But it says this, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. This is God talking to his people. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Nor, no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or, build, or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. And so Isaiah throughout the end of Isaiah, just gives this beautiful, like, doesn't that sound amazing? Like, some of it sounds confusing for sure, but so, doesn't that sound amazing? Where there's just perfect harmony between people and creation, between people and people, between people and animals. Like, there's this perfect harmony. 
And so what happened between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is they kind of just debated all of this. Because there was some of that that was sounding confusing, I'm sure, I'm sure the Sadducees, they kind of took that and said, look, this is poetry. God's not taught, he's not saying what he's actually going to do. It's just trying to give this big vision. And so between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this debate kept going. Even though you see these kind of compelling pictures in Isaiah of this age to come with a resurrection. And the, and the Sadducees, they were so fierce about the resurrection, they would kind of just, any time there was a new itinerant teacher of the law, they would kind of just get in that guy's face and try to find out if he believed in, this, in the resurrection. And so, as you know, and you've probably read this passage, the Sadducees did this with Jesus. Now, Jesus was probably teaching about the resurrection a lot. He was probably teaching about the resurrection a lot because even when Jesus died, if you remember, even the Pharisees, they kind of were like, hey, go make sure there's guards around the tombs because they're talking about, like, Jesus has been talking about this resurrection. We don't want them to steal the body. And so Jesus is going around teaching about the resurrection. And so the Sadducees come to him one day and they say to Jesus, they kind of put this whole scenario before Jesus that says, here's a, a theological scenario. Here's a, a scenario in reality that will be too hard for, for your view of the resurrection to understand. Your view, this, this scenario shows you that your view of the resurrection, Jesus, is wrong. And Jesus' response to them, instead of kind of diving deep into the scenario with them, he just goes, you guys don't know the Bible. He goes, you don't know the scriptures? And then what Jesus says is, he, does, he says, you don't know the power of God. And he says this kind of, I think, like a couple times in this interchange with the Sadducees. He goes, you don't know what the Bible talks about. You don't know what the scriptures talk about. You don't know what the word of God says about the resurrection. And you don't even know, you don't know the power of God. Which means that Jesus thought of the resurrection as this power of God that was going to come into history at some point. And then, shortly after that, Jesus resurrects at some point, shortly after that. Jesus is killed on a cross, he's put in a tomb, and he comes out of the tomb, and he resurrects, and he's alive. And he's walking around, and he's talking to people, and, 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 we, and, his, and all these people see Jesus in the flesh. They see the resurrection for what it is. And I say all that backstory to, one, to root us in the narrative of Scripture, but two, because what Jesus says to the Sadducees, I feel like sometimes he could say to me, as I've looked at the resurrection more and more over the last couple of years, as I've kind of dived deeper into the resurrection and what the resurrection means, I've realized that I think sometimes Jesus could look at me and he could say, Anthony, you don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. You don't understand the resurrection and all that it's worth and all that it contains. Right? Even just think about how we kind of present the gospel a lot of times. We present the gospel as focused often on the cross and our sins being forgiven, which that's an okay focus to have. But the gospel is probably not very good news if we keep the resurrection out of our message of the gospel. And so as I've been kind of diving deep into looking at Jesus' resurrection and all that it means for the world and for us, I can just kind of, I feel like Jesus could say to me, Anthony, you don't know the power of God. Like, you're not understanding this fully. And so here's what I want to do on this Easter Sunday as we look at the resurrection of Jesus, as we think about the resurrection of Jesus. I just want to share with you 
three things, three things I've been thinking through when it comes to the resurrection, three things that will help us to see the resurrection more deeply, three things that will kind of help us to uh, get all that we can out of the resurrection. I think you can even do more than these three things, but I want to just give us three little things to help us to see the resurrection in more deeper and meaningful ways. And so that's what this service is just going to be. I'm just going to give us three things about the resurrection that maybe we're not seeing, and maybe you're seeing it because you're better at reading your Bible than me. That's honestly probably true. But I want want us to be compelled by the resurrection and, and see it for all it's worth. Okay, and so we're going to talk about three things. The first thing that we're going to talk about is I want us to see how Jesus' resurrection is God bringing the end of history into the middle of history. The second thing I want us to see is I want us to see how the resurrection shows us that sin and death and fear are not the ruling powers anymore. And then the third thing that I want us to see today is that the resurrection shows us where to find hope. It shows us where to find. It doesn't just show us that we can hope. It shows us where to find hope, okay? So let's start with this first thing. I think that the resurrection is an act of God bringing what was promised throughout the Old Testament scriptures for the end of history into the middle of history, right? The Pharisees read it, and they kind of didn't quite get the resurrection either, if we're going to be honest, because they thought it was just going to be something that happened at the end of history. And so the idea of a man resurrecting into the middle of history was ridiculous to everybody. All, you can go and look. Most Jewish thinker, thinkers of that day, they would not have expected God to work in the middle of history bringing about a resurrection. They thought that was just something for the end. And so the first thing I want us to see about the resurrection is just that. God has brought what is going to happen at the end of history in the middle of history in and through Jesus. Okay, here's, here's a passage in Scripture that Gretchen just read that shows that. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 20-24 with me. It says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Jesus' resurrection is the power of God that all of us just expect maybe one day to see actually in the middle of history. God is a God that is not content on just saying, hey, when you get to death or when I come back and return and write all things, then you'll see the resurrection. God is a God who says, I want to give you guys a taste of the resurrection and the life to come now. And he does it in and through Jesus. What Corinthians says is Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. That means in some mysterious way, through Jesus, even though you and I experience death here and now, we experience and have the resurrection. 
God has brought the end of history into the middle of history. He wants us to have the resurrection now. We remember the resurrection every Easter Sunday because it's a picture of what God will do at the end of time, resurrecting all of us. But it's also a reminder that he's already brought the first fruits of the resurrection into the middle of history. And that's a pretty astounding thing that we have to see and we can't miss about the resurrection. There's another thing about the resurrection that I want us to see. So this is the second thing that I want us to see. I want us to see that the cross and the resurrection together are the defeaters of the powers of this world. They're the defeaters of the powers of this world. Okay, Throughout the New Testament, there's these ideas of these powers and authorities throughout the New Testament. And it's kind of confusing. You kind of read them because they're not, it's not always talking about kind of like governmental powers, although sometimes it is. But it seems to be talking about that there are other powers and forces at play in this world ruling this world. And two of those powers in particular that the New Testament is talking about, one is sin. Just the idea of people doing evil, the idea of people being turned inward on themselves, the idea of people going their own way and bringing about all sorts of destruction. The world is not the way it should be because of sin, and that's because sin is a ruling power in this world. Another ruling power with sin is death. Death we can all see as a ruling power. Some of you might disagree and go, well, sin's not really a ruling power. There's a lot of good in the world. And I agree, there's a lot of good in the world. But death, you can't escape death. None of us can escape death. We're all trying like mad to figure it out. Even in science, it's kind of a mystery why we die, why animals die, why cells stop reproducing. Like it's a mystery how death works, even in science. Death is a ruling power in this world. And what I've noticed is a symptom of those two ruling powers, sin and death, is fear. Kind of the way that those things begin to rule us is all of us begin to have fears, and a lot of our fears are rooted in some sort of fear of a sin or evil or something like that, or death coming our way. And so then a lot of what we do in life is to avoid the sin that we're afraid of or avoid this death that we know will come our way one day. Jesus' resurrection proclaims that he's defeated sin and death. Jesus' resurrection says, I'm more powerful than those things. Those things might have a grip on your heart, but they don't have to anymore because the very power of God has come into the middle of history. Sin and death are not more powerful than Jesus. And so because of that, we do not have to let sin and death rule us anymore. We can let let King Jesus and his resurrection be what rules us. I I can tell. Some of you are going, I don't know if I let sin and death rule me. And and listen, I would just, I, I would encourage you to tap into your fears. Tap into how you live life. Some of you are very brave people, and that's great. The rest of us are scared, okay? And I, I just would argue that all, I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, all of my fears are a fear. If, I'm, I'm, if I kind of break it down and look at it, it's a fear of some kind of sin happening to me or happening through me 
or it's a fear of death coming my way or suffering coming my way, which I think suffering is just small doses of death given to us at times. And I'm just kind of constantly doing things in a way to avoid those things. Again, you're going, I don't, Anthony, that's not me. Just watch the news. Watch the news. What they're peddling, what the news is, the news is just kind of constantly trying to put out these like visions of like of fears of sin and death. They're trying to grip you with these fears of some kind of sin coming your way or some kind of death coming your way. They might not use those theological terminologies like we would, but if you watch the news, it's just depressing because it's just kind of like, this is going to kill you, this is going to kill you, this is going to hurt you. And guys, it wouldn't be on the news if it didn't grip people and didn't cause us to watch it. We might pick all our different flavors, but all the different flavors generally are trying to say, sin's coming to get you in some way. Death is coming to get you in some way. This is a gripping fear. We let the power of sin and death and its symptom of fear rule us. And it causes us to do all sorts of things from how we buy things or how we live life or how we vote. It's usually based on a fear of sin or death or both. Jesus' resurrection says you don't have to fear that anymore. Jesus' resurrection says that does not have to rule you anymore. Jesus is showing us that that the power of God has entered history and he rules over sin and death. And so if you find yourself as a person who is, is often afraid or often doing things out of a motivation of fear, you don't have to anymore. Jesus' resurrection into the middle of history says he's the ruler. He's the greater power. His resurrection is the greater power over that fear of sin and death. Again, if you're skeptical that that's how you operate, I would just, maybe therapy will help, but I would encourage you to kind of examine yourself more totally and understand why you do certain things. Because those aren't the things that rule us as the church anymore. Jesus and his resurrection is what rules us. Let, the, let, let Jesus and his resurrection be the ruling authority in our lives now because it is, whether we see that or not. Okay, the third thing that I want us to see is this, is Jesus and his resurrection show us where we can find hope. The resurrection doesn't just show us that we can hope, it shows us where we can find hope. I don't think Jesus kind of resurrects, uh, comes out of the tomb, and he's just kind of like, look how strong I am, everybody. Because sometimes I feel like that's how we present him. He's just like, look at this. I can do another cool trick. Am I right? Like, that, 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 that's not what Jesus is doing in the resurrection. He's actually stepping out of the tomb and he's saying, hey, those ruling powers of sin and death, they rule no more. And if you want life, you can find it in me. That's what Jesus is saying when he gets out of the tomb. He's not trying to prove how strong he is. He is just that strong. And he wants us to find hope in that, in him. We can find our hope in Jesus because he wants to share the resurrection and the life with us. It's not just some cool act of God. It's much more than that. I love this story in John chapter 11 where uh, the, a couple of these sisters, Martha and Mary, they start talking to Jesus. 
And, and essentially what happens is their brother, Lazarus, has died. And they've been hanging out with Jesus, and they've been seeing him do all kinds of miracles. They know Jesus can heal people, and they were pretty good friends with Jesus. And so Jesus was in a different town, a different place, and so they sent word to him saying, Hey, Jesus, get over here. Come heal our brother Lazarus. Jesus is late. Lazarus dies. And so Jesus shows up, and Martha comes out to greet him, and she's kind of like, Jesus, it's too late. It's too late, Jesus. You didn't make it in time. You could have come here and healed him from his, sick, for, from his sickness, but now he's died from his sickness. And then Jesus starts to get into this conversation with Martha. And he says, hey, do you believe in the resurrection? And Martha goes, yeah, I believe in the Yes, one day at the end of time, God's going to come back. And yes, I believe that resurrection will happen. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. And then this is how he responds. He goes, in verse 25 of John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, who believed Jesus could do this amazing thing of healing her brother. Martha, who believed the resurrection was going to come at the end of time. She needed to be corrected about how she thought about the resurrection. Jesus needed to tell her the resurrection is not just some far off event of God, but the resurrection is found in Jesus. He's asking Martha, do you believe in the resurrection? Says, yeah, I believe. And he goes, no, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. The resurrection of Jesus shows us where we can find hope. Some of us come to church and we think we can find hope by being in the church. Some of us come to church and we think we can find hope in the Bible by doing everything it says. What Jesus is saying to Martha and what he would say to us is that's not where you find hope. Where you find hope is in Jesus, a real person. The God-man who came to earth and took on flesh and died on the cross and raised from the dead. And his raising from the dead was not just some kind of cool act of God. He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is where we can find our hope. And so I, I think we're remiss any Easter if we don't talk about the fact that for those of us that feel hopeless those of us that feel like sin is winning and death is winning in this world, you can find hope in Jesus. Not only can you find hope in Jesus, he is the only thing you can actually hope in because he is the resurrection and the life. Right? We kind of all have defense mechanisms against the sin and death of this world. Half of us kind of become cynical, okay? I'm not like that. I'm not cynical. But half of us become <laughs> cynical. Anybody that's been in RC with me, they're like, yeah, totally. Um, we become cynical. We see the death and suffering and pain of this world and we just go, this is just chaos and pain until God returns. And then I think another half of us, we kind of become toxically optimistic. We're just kind of like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine, right? Like, it's totally fine. Everything is going to be okay. And the cynical people are like, it's not, dude. Like, you've lost a limb. Like, this is, this is it's not going to be okay. And, and there's this kind of pendulum, and, we're, and honestly, if you even just look at social media, it's like the cynical people and the toxically optimistic people are just kind of arguing about how to be what they are. Jesus isn't saying, hey, be cynical. Jesus isn't saying, hey, be toxically optimistic. He's giving a third path, and he's saying, believe in me, Jesus. 
as the resurrection and the life. Someone that believes in Jesus and finds their hope in Jesus, they can see the pain of the world for what it is and lament it. But they can have hope and live as if the resurrection has already arrived, even when it doesn't make sense to live that way. Jesus and his resurrection not just show us that we can hope, it shows us where we can hope, where to find our hope. It's in Jesus. That's what the resurrection shows us. And so church, I, I, I want to be a church that, that sees the resurrection for all it's worth. It's not just something to think about on Easter. It's not just something to kind of go like, oh, that's a nice thought. That was a cool thing God did. No, God came to earth and he said, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. That's what God said to us. And I want us to unpack the idea and cling to it and take the resurrection for all it's worth. And so this is my hope this Easter, is that we would go away from here and not just thinking the resurrection was some religious idea, but that the resurrection was the power of God displayed in history. And more of that resurrection is going to come. And in one sense, all that entrust themselves to Jesus have that resurrection now. And that's why we do Easter every year. Because that's a beautiful, mysterious, perplexing idea. That we have the resurrection here and now. And so church, I want you to go away from here just asking yourself this question. Am I seeing the resurrection for all it's worth? Am I seeing the resurrection for all it's worth? Because I think there's a lot more to the resurrection than a lot of us are noticing and seeing about it. So let's begin to examine how we view the resurrection. So church, my hope is that we would see the resurrection more clearly and deeply. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for doing what we all thought and what we kind of intuitively think only happens at the end of history in the middle of history. Thank you for taking on flesh and allowing your flesh to die only to be raised in power to show us how powerful you are, how, how you actually reign over the powers of this world that we're so convinced reign. God, help us to... Uh, believe in the resurrection that securely that those powers don't rule our minds like they often do. And then God, for us in the room where we feel hopeless, we feel cynical or toxically optimistic, God, I pray that we find this third path of hoping in you and your resurrection. Not in all the different ways we perceive the world. And so, God, we love you and we need you and we're thankful for the resurrection. And I pray that those that are having a hard time believing in the resurrection here this morning, that you would just give them a taste of the, that first fruit, those first fruits, God. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.